Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, October 20th, 2015. This is going to be a, an all-over-the-map program. Sitting here looking at the lineup going, how am I going to pull all this off? All right, we'll figure it out. Thank you for tuning in or listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we actually take the time to open up our Bibles, use sound biblical hermeneutics, Exegesis, properly understood, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture, properly distinguishing between the law and the gospel, as the book of Romans and the book of Galatians teaches us to do. And uh, the whole goal here is to teach sound doctrine, and by comparison, to see if the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, um, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolettes, to see if what they're saying actually squares with God's word, or if, well, the people put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose materials we need to be studying, instead of, you know, God's word. Uh, you know, is it to see if it actually is teaching God's word correctly, or if these people are just twisting God's word and teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Unfortunately, we find there's a lot of people out there who are teaching the things that they ought not to teach. And he, here's the idea, is that there, I mean, there uh, the small number, if you would, are the vision-casting leaders. That's the small number in Christianity. The big number are the people who are being influenced by them and deceived by them. And so we're trying to reach you, the people who may potentially be, uh, well, deceived by uh, vision-casting leaders and uh, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolates and folks like that. And uh, the goal is to help open your eyes, help you see what God's Word really teaches, equip you so that you know how to protect yourself and those whom you love. Kind of the idea here. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We will be all over the map today. There's just no doubt about it. See if you can figure out the common theme in all of this. And I tr did try to get a theme. It's a 
slightly looser theme, if you would, but I think we've got it. And we're going to start off with a segment of Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies from uh, Gloria Zion International to see if you can figure out what it is that's <laughs> apparently God the Holy Spirit is speaking. And we might even do a little bit of prophecy open mic just to kind of round that out. Then what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears. We're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update, and we're going to be listening to Jensen Franklin. And, <laughs> oh, man, one of the most abysmally awful twistings of the story of the plagues and, you know, the dreams of Joseph in the book of Genesis that I have ever heard. I mean, just mind-bogglingly bad. Um, I might note something regarding Hillsong and their famous gay couple. They Apparently they've moved to the West Coast, and uh, we'll note that. And then we will round out hour number one with a um, Stephen Furtick update. Stephen Furtick, as, uh, there, he has yet to find a biblical passage that isn't about him and about you. Uh, well, he's going to continue with his narcissistical ways, and you're thinking, well, Narsa, what? Yeah, Narsa Jesus is uh, is a form of Bible twisting that uh, one of the listeners kind of coined the phrase here at Fighting for the Faith. It's a combination of narcissism and eisegesis, and eisegesis is reading things into the biblical texts that are not there, and so you stick the two words together, and you have Narsa Jesus, which is a self-loving form of eisegesis and uh, Stephen Furtick that seems to be his bread and butter that's his uh his favorite way of twisting God's word and scratching itching ears in order to experience if you would cancerous numerical growth in his elevation church camp I and so we'll note that and then in hour number two we're going to be reviewing a I don't even know if this is really a sermon it, it, it purports it claims to be a sermon uh, we're going to be listening to a sermon uh, delivered by David Crank, Nicole Crank, and uh, Joel Osteen. And the uh, name of the sermon is The Power of I Am. Yeah, now you'll notice here at Fighting for the Faith, one of the things we talk about is, is that every year there's a heresy hurricane season. Yeah, that's right. Heresy hurricane season begins on Labor Day in September in the United States of America, like the first full weekend in September, which is when all of the heretics get back from their private islands on their private jets and things like that, and they get busy, you know, with the next, with the current years, you know, uh, you know, putting out of their strange doctrines and new theologies and never before heard... <laughs> Well, I don't, you can't even call them doctrine, just weird things that they teach. And everyone goes, yeah, that's the greatest thing ever. And, uh, and so, you know, from uh, Labor Day all the way to Memorial Day, which is, you know, the last part of the uh, month of May, that is what we call heresy hurricane season. And this has been an active, and I mean really active, her her heresy hurricane season. And we had heresy hurricane Shemitah. We've had Heresy Hurricane Four Blood Moons. We, we've had the we had the end of the world uh, Heresy Hurricane that blew through, and now we have the Power of I Am Heresy Hurricane blowing through the church really hard. And a lot of people are falling for these things and having their uh, their faith shipwrecked and uh, their you know, their theological and the doctrinal um, you know, understanding just blown apart. 
by these heresy hurricanes. And so we'll be uh, tuning in a little bit more with this uh, heresy hurricane known as the power of I am. Now, as we've noted here at Fighting for the Faith, I am is one of the names for God. Yeah, it's revealed in the book of Exodus. We'll take a look at that during our sermon review today. And it's one of the favorite uh, ways in which Jesus refers to himself because he's using the divine name for himself. He am. Yeah, and uh, I am, or Hayach, in uh, Hebrew, it literally means, you can literally interpret that as the self-existing one. But what's fascinating in this Power of I Am sermon, we have Joel Osteen, David Crank, and Nicole Crank completely oblivious to the fact that I Am is uh, the name given for God, and, and this is a title for Jesus. And, uh, well, I don't even think they really get around to mentioning Jesus much at all in this power of I am. So it's been a very busy uh, heresy hurricane season here at Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, you know, I fear that uh, this is going to be like one for the record books, if you know what I mean. All right, we're going to get to it. And since we're going to start with a Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies, might even throw in a little bit of Prophecy Open Mic, uh, which is involved with the NAR, that requires us to do this. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. all right, I hope you're, you're sitting down, because every time we uh, check in with the folks over there at Glory of Zion, it's a, a weird ride, is the best way I can put it. And the latest prophecy from there at Glory of Zion is, is entitled, Break Out Into Your New Walk of Freedom. Break out into your... I have no idea what that means. Here is uh, Chuck Pierce to explain. There's something God's trying to have us get right now. Some of you have the slavery of the immigration that came through the gates. The, the slavery of the immigration that came through the gates. R- right. <laughs> I don't even know what that sentence means. The slavery of the immigration that came through the gates. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Of this nation on you still. Some of you, you br- were brought in as slaves. The Emancipation Proclamation sets you free legally. Uh-huh. So some of the people there at Glory of Zion were alive during the Civil War. Got it. I had no idea. <laughs> but that can't set you free spiritually. You have to enter in to your sonship, your daughtership. Yeah, you see, the Emancipation Proclamation, I mean... If you were alive when Lincoln, <laughs> I can't believe anyone takes this seriously. When Lincoln, you were alive when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, because you you were um, 
because of the immigration slavery thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're really old. Uh, you, you know, you've probably only got minutes to live. And so you got to quickly, <laughs> I mean, really quickly enter into your sonship or daughtership because, you know, look, whoo, look at the date. It's 2015. You know, the uh, Civil War started when? 1860. What? Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, quick. <laughs> you know, if you've been set free by the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, quickly enter into your sonship or daughtership before you stop breathing. Because, I mean, I'm surprised you're even still alive. You have to be liberated or else you've always got a chip on your shoulder just waiting for someone to say one word that offends you. Some of you were born out of wedlock. That has a shame on it. Break the power of that off. You are being adopted. Let the Spirit of God do a work in you. All right, so that was, to lead off, that was Chuck Pierce. We're going to do a little prophecy open mic. He's passed the mic off. To the next person, apparently receiving direct direct utterances from God, the Holy Spirit. You, you're saying, God, I don't want to let this go because if I let this go, I lose my leverage. And the Lord says today that your leverage is kingdom. Your leverage is my kingdom, and you will express my kingdom as your le- as your leverage in this season. Yeah, so you need to express the kingdom thing for leverage. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. No idea what that means either. So he'll go deep into your DNA to help you understand the chip on your shoulder. Yeah, because, yeah, huh, whatever. Make yourself buoyant and let him process you. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I have no idea where that biblical doctrine is about, you know, God processing you. Sounds painful. That you've not known, not only will reproach be rolled away, but your true identity will come up and rise up as a true man, as a true woman, as a true boy, as a true girl that's called to be established as a kingdom worker, as a miracle worker, as the free son of the most high God in this season. So I hear the Lord say, Yes, you walk through joy, but I want you to experience real joy now, not just with your mouth or not trying to convince yourself. Linking with these wrong things that are coming out. Yeah, during the processing, I'm sure, yeah. That's not really the gift of tongues she's using. Um, yeah, and if that were, she's totally disobeying God's word. Ain't nobody there to translate. In the name of Jesus, I 
here comes the next so-called prophet. And the Lord says that many of you, many of you have never received a mother's blessing. So there's a lot of you out there. You, you have yet to receive a mom's blessing. Yeah. It's so tragic. I mean, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit, you know, really did something about this. And he says, go up today. I am a mother of Israel, and I want to release a mother's blessing on every one of you who never, ever... So God, the Holy Spirit, is the mother of Israel and wants to release a mother's blessing. Okay. See that. Rain down on them, Lord. The blessing of a mother. I you with today that will eradicate curses, that will eradicate those things in your bloodline that will set you free. The blessing of the mother I give you in the name of Jesus. So we can just call the Holy Spirit Mother Goddess now, not today. And when God brought... And here's Chuck Pierce again, one of the 12 living apostles on the earth, you know. ...me here in 1986, and in February of 1987, when I walked in Believer's Fellowship that Robert and Linda had started, the Lord said, I have brought you here to teach you to be a father. We had four children at that time. And he said, I will teach you to be a father. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't control my children. I don't try to block them creatively. I don't try to overprotect them. But I tell you, God has made me a good father. And I loose the liberty of that over you in Jesus' name. Uh, the liberty of the father thingy. He just loosed that right over us there. Yeah. So glad he did that. I was hoping he would, you know. I heard the Lord say that when you walk with a chip on your shoulder, you're out of balance. And that out of balance is not from me. God, you really heard the Lord say that? That if you have a chip on your shoulder, you're out of balance. I had no idea. My desire is that you walk whole and full and not with a limp. But every time there's a chip on your shoulder, there is a limp. Yeah, so if you have a chip on your shoulder, you're limping along. How sad is that? I mean, yeah, that's so tragic. And that limp is not from me because I've called you into wholeness. And when you walk before people, you should walk bold and you should stand straight. And they should see in your character and in your stature that there's a fullness of the Lord. And they don't see that with the limp. So the Lord says, cast off the chip. Yeah, if you don't want to be limping, you know, the, 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 I mean, the simplest way to make it so you don't have to walk with a limp is to, you know, get the chip off your shoulder. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit cleared that up for us. Wow, yeah, my mind is blown. How about yours? Moving along. Yeah, time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Nero, want to be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles. Give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit? 
that's made out of oof and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle, want that tender that is legal and financially substantially, and there's some I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, one of the songs we use here for our money-grubbing televangelist update. Now, what we're going to be listening to is a message from Jensen Franklin. (laughs) And all I can say is that it's just about as absurd as what it is that you were listening to from the Prophecy Open open Mic and uh, Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies. And the name of the sermon that we will be previewing is entitled A Formula for victory. Here we go. I want to preach for just a few moments this morning from Genesis chapter 41. I want to talk about this this story because in the dream that Pharaoh had that Joseph was to interpret yeah was the skinny cows and the fat cows representing the interpretation of that was 7 years of famine and 7 years of plenty. Now, you, you got to remember that the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream has already been given. It was given by God to Joseph. And by the way, if you want to understand what's going on in the story of Joseph, this is real simple. Joseph typologically is the closest character in all of the Old Testament, next to King David, who typologically prefigures Jesus. And with the story of Joseph, we have Jesus' humbling of himself, becoming a servant, his incarnation. We have his exaltation. In fact, if you really want to see what's going on in the book of Joseph, purposely you know, read the story of Joseph and, you know, from beginning to end as if Joseph is Jesus and look for cross-references in the New Testament. Specifically, if you would, you know, use Philippians chapter 2 where it says, who though being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross, you know, was found in the form of a servant, that kind of thing. That will give you the interpretive key typologically to see what's going on in Joseph. Joseph, you can draw a straight line from Joseph to Jesus. And it's it's such an important thing to understand. And when you start to see it, I mean, one of the key things there is that when Joseph is finally exalted, you know, to like second in command of all of Egypt, one of the things that the uh, Egyptians cry out regarding Joseph is, bow the knee. And that's right. It, it typologically points to Jesus, you know, to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Yeah, it's it's absolutely mind-blowing when you take the time to read the story of Joseph understanding that Joseph is a type and shadow and that he is pointing directly to Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. But what we're going to hear from Jensen Franklin is far from amazing. Yeah, no, it's like the exact opposite. And so here's, let me go back to the point that I was making. So Pharaoh had these dreams, right? Yes, he did. And who interpreted the dreams? Well, God did it through uh, Joseph. And so the interpretation of the dreams is has already been given. There is no further significance <laughs> for our lives 
for the story of you know, of these dreams. These dreams have been interpreted, and their interpretation has been fulfilled. You can think of it as prophecy and then fulfillment of prophecy, and it's a closed book on the skinny cows and the fat cows. But no, that, you know, Jensen Franklin apparently doesn't think so, so he's always finding some kind of application, you know, for our lives. And what he's discovered is so abysmally bad, it's a groaner. We continue. The fat cows being the years of greatness and plenty and the skinny cows representing bad days. So so what you have is, I believe, that speaks to us today is that all of us in life are going to have good days and bad days. <laughs> oh, man. This is so bad. Hang on, we got to do this. Yeah, no, I know. it's. He's doing his best. I mean, don't you understand? He thinks the Bible's about him. He doesn't realize it's about Jesus. Oh, we continue. All of us in life are going to have good times and bad times. Yeah, that's that's what those cows represent. Don't tell that to Jim Baker and Jonathan Kahn. They they think that cows recently born with the number number seven on their forehead are somehow related to those cows. Yeah, it's called it's a eschatology. Yeah, they're pre millennial. We continue. And and what I want you to understand is. The Bible is a manual for successful living. No, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, this is so bad. Okay. I cannot believe I put this in here. Okay. No, the Bible is not a manual for successful living. If you think that's what it is, you are totally missing the whole point. The Bible is a revelation that points us to God and to Jesus Christ and his saving work. It reveals what the problem is with humanity, how we got here, who created us, what the problem is, and what the solution is. And the solution is Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. It points us to Jesus. Wow, this is terrible. Not just in the good times, but it teaches us how we are to think, to live, to react to the good times and the bad times, the times of plenty and the times of scarcity, the beautiful seasons of our life and the extremely ugly times of our life. Yeah, the uh, seven uh, fat cows and seven sleek cows, yeah, those, those were prophetically fulfilled already. They represented seven years of plenty in the time of Joseph and then seven years of famine, again, in the time of Joseph. Already fulfilled, it has nothing to do with the good times and the bad times in our life. The principle that I'm going to share with you today can save your marriage. The principle that I'm about to give you can save your family, your job, your relationship with God, even your relationship with this church. God wants to give you spiritual success, and the proper interpretation of Joseph's dream would be the secret to Egypt's survival and the secret to his own family's survival. God yeah, that was about saving his family, and by saving his family, you saved the bloodline of the Messiah so that we're all saved. Yeah, you could say that Jesus was the unborn great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson 
of Jacob, you know, Israel of the uh, of the book of Genesis, and then ultimately Judah. Judah's alive by this time. God showed him the way I want you to handle the bad times is by recognizing, and it all depends on how you handle the good times. What are you talking about, Jensen? The way you handle your good years will determine if you survive the bad years. Yeah, no, that has nothing to do with the story of Joseph. Wow, this is really bad. In other words, you must learn to maximize the positive. If you're going to get through this famine that's coming, Joseph was saying in the interpretation... If you don't learn how to maximize the good times and minimize the bad times, then you won't make it through the famine. What famine are you talking about? God has... Oh, man. This is... <laughs> this is one of the worst cases of Jesus I've ever seen. I mean, talk about totally missing the point and twisting God's word. He thinks he's really grasped onto a right understanding of this text. The end, The reality is it's far from it. All right, we're going to have to take a break. We'll come back to this after the break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a little bit more Jensen Franklin. We'll talk a little bit about Hillsong, and then we have a Stephen Furtick update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Hey guys, it's Rex here. I know that you've all been hearing about Stephen Furtick's latest book, Greater. Well, I took the time to check it out, and I have to say that I was greatly underwhelmed. For example, in this book he talks about Elisha burning his plows in order to follow Elijah. For some reason, Furtick then asked us to do the same. Uh-huh, right. Furtick only gave you half the story. Where in your book does it tell everyone to sacrifice their oxen and cook their carcasses over your burning plows, Furtick? Nowhere. That's why I'm taking it one step further with my new book, Greater Than or Equal To. You think Furtick's book was bad? Well, my book will do it better, better. I'm not a wimp like Furtick. I do it all. 
That's right. Not only did I burn my plows like Elisha, but I took my oxen and I sacrificed them with my bare hands. I moved on from that, and I'm now living it up like John the Baptist. I wear a camel's hair jacket with my Bible pants and eat locusts with wild honey. I added some chipotle sauce for flavor. I, I guess it worked. Anyway, got another question for you, Furtick. Ever heard of Hosea? Well, you conveniently skipped the whole part about marrying a prostitute. Well, I did it. On top of that, I'm cooking the locusts tonight for my new wife. Just like Ezekiel. I'm cooking my food over poop. It's so awesome. So watch out, Furtick. Greater than or equal to is way better than your book, you pansy. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to realize that those who don't understand that the Bible is about Jesus and not you, that they have no business actually teaching anybody anything. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website. FightingForTheFaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to 
specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we left off with uh, Jensen Franklin trying to teach us the formula for victory. <laughs> Apparently, the formula for victory has something to do with us learning how from the, the dreams of Pharaoh to, you know, do well in the good years and have a good attitude in the bad or something like that. Here's Jensen Franklin to continue to explain this bizarre teaching. Here we go. You see, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was poured out upon the disciples in the upper room. And I want you to understand that if you don't get the Holy Spirit saturating your upper room, which is your mind and your thinking, <laughs> he has no clue how to rightly handle God's word. Oh, this is just terrible. <laughs> okay, so, you know, because the Holy Spirit, you know, in Acts chapter 2, fell on the disciples in the upper room. You know, you need the Holy Spirit saturating your upper room. <laughs> oh, I'm going to lose it. We could. <laughs> this is so bad. When the bad times come, you will become cynical. You will become critical. You will become depressed, discouraged. You will become negative. And we need a baptism in our upper room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is just ridiculous. You need a baptism in your upper room. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think I'll just take the train to Wienerville instead. <laughs> I mean, what is this of the Holy Spirit? We need a spirit-baptized brain to deal with the bad times and not lose focus of the good. And there's people saying amen to this. It's just utter gobbledygook. This is about, makes about as much sense as Pierce's ponderous prophecies. This is bonkers go nuts. See, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is this. In the dream, the, the skinny cows ate up the fat cows. Yes, they did. And that dream has already been filled, uh, you know, fulfilled in human history. And in other words, here's what I want you to get. This is the main point. If you don't watch it, you allow the bad times to eat up the good times. Oh, man, this is just nonsense. And you begin to take on a, a belief system in your mind that begins to defeat you. We need spirit-baptized brains so that we will think right, especially in the bad days. Because Yeah, apparently his spirit-baptized brain hasn't helped him in rightly understanding God's word at all. Because if I think right, I will do right. If I think right, I will act right. One man said, we need a checkup from our neck up. I like that. 
If you don't get a checkup from your neck up, you'll become guilty of stinking thinking. <laughs> you know where I heard the term stinking thinking from? Yeah, I heard it from uh, that Stuart Smalley character from uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you know, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn people like me. Yeah, it was stinking thinking that he was trying to be saved from. So here's Jensen Franklin desperately trying to exegete a biblical text and failing miserably. And the reason why he is failing miserably is because he doesn't understand the fact that, that Jesus makes it very clear and he does this in the Gospel of John in a couple of places, Road to Emmaus, as well as John chapter 5, that the scriptures are about him. In John chapter 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, yet they are the very scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. That's his problem. And so he, he, he sits there and he just doesn't know how to exegete these passages because he thinks there's some kind of application to our life today for the fulfilled dream prophecy given to Pharaoh. There isn't except for to believe in Jesus because the story of Joseph points us to Christ. Oh, this is so bad. Okay, we're going to move along. We'll do a quick Hillsong update, which requires us to do this. Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got Praising for my Rolls Royce and my yacht Serving God ain't hard with a credit card Jesus died so I could make a lot Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires Wave your donations in the air We've replaced our hymns with ATMs And soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow Stop the Sermon on the Mount, he should have had a bank account Two thousand years with interest He'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD. Just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Moolah. Solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid people. Whoever said religion should be free, you know. Um, okay, so what we're going to be uh, looking at here, this is a story reported by HillsongChurchWatch.com. You can find this at, guess what, HillsongChurchWatch.com, uh, Monday, October 19th, 2015, talking about um, Hillsong and the um, very famous gay couple that they have who appeared on the uh, television show Survivor, and that would be Reed Kelly and Josh Canfield. Well, over the weekend, they Instagrammed some selfie photos of themselves at, well, Hillsong, Los Angeles. Apparently, I don't know if they're there on vacation or if they've permanently 
move from New York City to the West Coast. But, you know, they feel just peachy keen right at home at Hillsong Church, whether it's Hillsong, New York City or Hillsong, L.A., it makes you wonder, do the guys there at Hillsong, does Carl Lentz or the you know the, the guy who's in charge of Hillsong L.A., I think that's actually one of the um, uh, Brian Houston's sons uh, who's in charge of Hillsong L.A., it just makes you wonder, do these guys actually preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Do they proclaim Christ in his saving office? And do they preach God's law properly? so that people understand what the gospel's all about. Because apparently, uh, Josh Canfield and Reed Kelly, you know, they're impenitent homosexuals, and they feel like they're Christians, and they feel like they're right at home, you know, at Hillsong Church, and that, that, that they have everything to do with Jesus Christ, and yet they are completely oblivious to law and gospel. Sin and grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Something is really wrong there at Hillsong. Really, really, really wrong. That uh, somebody who is an impenitent sinner of any stripe, whether they're homosexual or heterosexual, would feel right at home and not be convicted of their sin and realized, and realized, yeah, I, yeah, boy, you know, the gospel is not a license for me to go out and just indulge my sinful nature. Uh, but that uh, Christ has bled and died for my sins so that I can be set free from them. Apparently, they that uh, message hasn't really registered with uh, uh, Reed Kelly and Josh Canfield. And uh, and so they're at home in Hillsong, L.A. and Hillsong, New York City, and don't ever feel challenged to repent of their um, homosexual sins. Kind of sad, if you ask me. But, uh, yeah, I didn't say it would take long. I told you we would have a brief, and I mean that, brief Hillsong update. And so time to move along. Yeah, that's right. Time for a Stephen Furtick update. Think the Bible's about you. You're 
you're so vain I bet you think the bottle's about you Don't you, don't you Yeah, that's right. Time for a Stephen Furtick update. Now, did you know that when Paul, the Apostle Paul, blew into the town of Philippi, you know, preached the gospel there and was actually thrown in prison after he excommunicated, not excommunicated, he exercised a demon from a gal who, well, was demon-possessed that and ended up in prison, that, you know, it was really actually all about you. Yeah, I didn't know if you knew that or not, but uh, let me back off on the music here. There isn't a biblical text, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, doesn't matter if it's actually a historical account of one of the apostles, one of the prophets, or even Jesus Christ himself. Stephen Furtick has this uncanny knack, like demonically so, to make it all about us. Yeah, it's very sad, very tragic. And so without any further ado, here is the latest Narcissus nonsense from the narcissetical master himself, the dark lord of, uh, well, narcissism, Stephen Furtick. Here we go. Verse 22 through 26, if you're new to our church, the scriptures are going to come up on the screen. And you can follow along. I believe the Lord's given me a word for your situation today, a liberating word. A word for your situation, uh-huh. A powerful word. Oh, I, I'm sure it will be powerless. A word. Unless, of course, you're going to preach Jesus, which I really have never heard you do. A word that will set you free. Free from what? Scripture says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. How many know God can shake the foundations of things that have been holding you down in one moment in your life in his presence? What are you talking about? This text is not about anything like that. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Wow. You know, I actually wove this text into a sermon I recently delivered. Yeah, I think when we're done with Furtick, I just might have to stick that into uh, into this episode. Yeah, just by, by way of comparison. We'll consider this rather than a sermon cage fight. You know, kind of a, a light sparring, if you would. Yeah, kind of size up the two preachers, if you would. What if that happened today in the presence of God? What if chains fell off of your life in areas where you've been... What if chains fell off of my life? What are you talking about? ...been bound for years. What if things that have held you hostage for decades fell to the ground in the presence of God today? What? You believe it can happen? 
I want to speak to you today from this subject. I want to talk about chain reactions. Chain reactions. Chain reactions to what? What are you what are you talking about? This story is this text has nothing to do with chain reactions. Chain reactions. Touch somebody next to you on your way to your seat. Say you're about to get set free. Amen. You may be seated. Chain reactions. Ooh, I feel like God's going to do something great today. Yeah, why do you say you feel that? Because that's a deceptive feeling, unless, of course, you're going to actually preach Christ, which I seriously doubt. Some of you today are, are locked in ways of living that are the result of incorrect perspectives. And the word. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it's all about incorrect perspectives. It had nothing to do with the sinful nature. It's just in, incorrect perspectives. If you would just get a correct perspective, whoa, wow, you'd be so sanctified, dude. Yeah, I don't think so. The Word of God has the ability to gut your perspective of past memories that haunt you, of future fears that intimidate you, and of personal insecurities that damage you and cripple you and bring you into a proper perspective of all that God says you are, all that He says you can do, all that He says He is, all that He says you have because you're connected to Him. When you realize that you're connected to God, it changes your perspective because your perspective is the product of your connections. <laughs> what is this guy talking about? This is... It's like he's trying to purpose, purposely baffle these people with nonsense. So if I'm connected to the all-sufficient God, I don't see lack. I see all my needs abundantly supplied by his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It changes my perspective when I understand my connection. That's why when I lift my hands in worship, I feel strength coming to every weak area in my life. My yeah, this is just, he is the master of uh, whipping people up into a complete nonsensical irrational not even biblical frenzy my life didn't change my perspective changed and if i get my perspective right my life will line up over time lately i've been reading scripture even looking for the psychological construct that brings the text together and in acts chapter 16 i see such a powerful picture of perspective the kind of perspective that can cause you to make it through the darkest night of your life. The Bible says that Paul and Silas were out preaching on a missionary journey in the city of Philippi. And uh, the crowd, verse 22, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Notice the word against. Against. Yeah, it's there. I saw that, yeah. You probably won't be attacked by a mob because of your, your faith in Jesus Christ. Not necessarily, but I will illustrate the principle that when there is an advance, there is always a counterattack. <laughs> really? That's the principle being taught in this passage in Acts? I had no idea. Weird that no commentaries or the Greek text or... Yeah, or any of the church fathers say that. Okay, so Stephen Furtick has discovered something in this text like nobody has ever seen before. 
the principle of like if there's advance, there will be a counterattack. Uh huh. When there is advancement in your life or the desire to advance, there will always be an attack. Always. 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 The en- yeah, saying it three times doesn't make it true. The enemy doesn't attack apathetic people. He doesn't have to. You're sabotaging yourself. You're sitting on your destiny. He doesn't have to get you to forfeit it by becoming discouraged. You're not doing anything with the gifts you have anyway, but the moment that you make up your mind to advance, you can expect an attack. And little baby Christians get all upset anytime they're attacked for any reason. Any, any little thing can, can cause them to want to give up. But the, the sign of an attack is the indication of advancement in my life. So stop being surprised. Yeah, so the sign of attack, that shows that yeah, you're, you're really advancing, man. Yeah, uh-huh. Yes, yeah, he's not even, uh, he's engaging in narcissistic eisegesis, not actually exegeting the text. I'll demonstrate that in a minute by way of comparison. When stuff is hard. Stop being so shocked when things don't go your way. In fact, I was studying about this whole scene. It's kind of a, a racial riot, if you want to know the truth about it, because Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, but they were also Jews, and they were preaching the gospel of Christ in Europe for the first time in this city called Philippi in the Macedonian region. The reason that they ended up in Macedonia and in Philippi, to be exact, is because they tried to go into the province of Asia. The Bible says that the spirit of Jesus would not permit them to go there. And it was because of what they didn't get to do, that they set out to do, that they ended up where they needed to be to accomplish what God had put in them. That's for- Could you, like, you do a mind map on that or, like, diagram that paragraph? He's just bamboozling these people with nonsense. For somebody right there. You've been crying about something that didn't happen for you. Yeah, this text isn't about us, at least not in that sense. Or somebody who didn't like you, or somebody who rejected you. But rejection is nothing more than redirection. And when you begin to see it that way... Yeah, if you have the right perspective, you know, rejection is just redirection, yeah. Because that's what Acts 16 is talking about. Yeah, no, it's not. You see that some of the heartbreak in your life was really God moving you into position for some of the blessings that he desires to bring that you don't even know to pray for yet. It's a chain reaction. Yeah, you can sit there and say it's a train reaction. I'm sorry, train chain reaction all you want. But yeah, no, that's not what's going on there in this passage in the book of Acts, like at all. So Paul couldn't get into Asia, so he said, well, let me try Macedonia. And he goes to Macedonia, and there's a girl following him and Silas around, and she's mocking them while they preach. And Paul put up with it for a little while, but eventually he turned around and said one word, in the name of Jesus, come out. And when this girl who had the ability to predict the future, I'm just filling you in the context of the thing so you can understand how sometimes it's a chain Reaction? How? Yeah, because the context all is all about chain reaction. By the way, in my sermon, which you're going to hear part of in a minute here, 
I, I fill in the, the context historically from the Greek also. See if you notice a difference. How one thing leads to the other and how even, how, how even bad things can lead to good things. And sometimes you try to do a good thing and it leads to a bad thing. Because when he turned around and did that, this, this spirit that had enabled this girl to predict the future left her. And now her masters who were pimping her out could no longer make money off of her. So it upset the region. So they used the, 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 the Jewish nationality of these men to incite the crowd to put them in prison. And that's where we pick up. It says that. They were stripped. Yeah, they, they were. You didn't translate this before you actually preached this, did you? And beaten and fastened in stocks. Stripped. I wonder, have you ever been stripped of your self-worth? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> so apparently this text has something to do with the you know, being stripped of your self worth, who who knew? I mean, I thought the text was about Jesus. Yeah, what do I know? Let me be specific about this. Oh, please do. I got to word this carefully. Stripped of your self worth. Yeah, because you know this text is all about being stripped of myself. No, it's not. It's a different kind of strip. It's it's when you get stripped of your confidence. Oh yeah, yeah. Because when they you know, stripped Paul and Silas in order to beat them and flog them. Yeah, that is just a parable. You know, the the physical thing that actually took place in real time and space history, that was a parable of you being, you know, and the reality is you being stripped of your self-confidence. Yeah, wow. My my mind's totally blown here, yeah. Stripped of, stripped of, of possessions. Some of you have been stripped of your health. Some of you have, have been stripped of, of your own love for others. Oh, it's just tragic. Yeah, I mean, have you been stripped of your love for others? Oh. Well, don't worry. Stephen Furtick, not God, but Stephen Furtick has come to set you free and to you know, help clothe your nakedness after being stripped of you know, your love for others. By some abuse that happened to you that made it really hard for you to give what you never got. And they were beaten, beaten, beaten. Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't been beaten by rods, but maybe you've been beaten by, by thoughts. Maybe you've been... Yeah, see, they were beaten with real rods and things like that. But maybe you've been, you know, stripped of your love for others and then beaten with thoughts. Yeah, <sighs> that's so brutal, man. Beaten by doubts. Maybe you've been, been beaten by words and... Criticism and maybe even beaten by a wet noodle and yeah, you know, and a slinky and things like that. Yeah, cynicism. Maybe maybe you've been beaten by habits and addiction, stripped and beaten and guarded and guarded. Whew. And gu yeah, see, once whoa, once you throw guarding in there, you know, does, is it me or does like Furtick sound like he's like just flailing around? Yeah, he, he does sound like he's flailing, doesn't he? He's like he's like grasping at straws, you know, for something and waiting for an applause line in the midst of all of this. And everyone's not really quite tracking with him, which is really, really sad if you think about it. All right, so what we're going to do to kind of, you know, round this out, I, I want to do this by way of comparison. I'm going to play a portion. I won't pay the whole uh, play the whole thing. I'm going to play a portion of a sermon 
and, that I recently delivered, and it's from the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, it is actually from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. But I use this account in the book of Acts as a cross-reference. Now, this is not officially a uh, sermon cage fight, but this is kind of like one of those preseason sparring matches, so we should do this. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a uh, sermon uh, sparring match. This is not an official cage fight, so this doesn't actually count, you know, in when it comes to, you know, the points in the season and the playoffs and things like that. But um, this, uh, well, I will go ahead and step into the ring myself and uh, put forward one of my sermons by way of comparison so that you can see, you know, really kind of size up the competition. Is Stephen Furtick really all that he cra- is cracked up to be? And, well, all the media and, uh, well, the, fan and the fans and adoring crowds within the evangelical complex say that he is? Or is he really just a lightweight, you know, well, posing as a heavyweight when it comes to preaching the gospel? Well, we're about to find out. Let me go ahead and back up on the music here. Here is my sermon entitled, No One is Good Except for God Alone. Like I said, we're not playing the whole thing, so this is not an official full-length, you know, season uh, sermon cage fight. And we'll begin with me reading the text, and we'll quickly get into the book of Acts. Here we go. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell On his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All of these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. All right, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. In the name of Jesus. All right, so this is an interesting text that's before us, and you're going to need your pew Bibles. We're going to be in a few different spots today. We'll begin with our gospel text. Gospel Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Here's what it says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, and said, Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's stop for a second and analyze the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, let's say that Grandma has written you into her will. She's written you into her her will, and she's decided that she's going to give you the whole estate. You get the farm, you get the land, you get the implements, you get even the green combine. Grandma's being very generous. Of course, she's not going to be here. And so, what do you have to do to inherit all of this? What work must you do? Answer, nothing. An inheritance is a gift. In fact, if you really want to be industrious, what you really need to do is figure out how to knock off granny. Right? (laughs) But if you get caught, you will not get the inheritance. You'll spend the rest of your life in one of those orange jumpsuits, and we all know how good those look, right? 
So rather than knock her off, what you do is you just sit and you wait. And when grandma dies, you receive the estate. Eternal life in Scripture is an inheritance. This man has it right. He knows that he's going to inherit it. It's an inheritance. But he wrongly thinks that he's got to do something to earn it. He's very confused. It's, well, okay, how many good works are enough for me to do? You know, how many little old ladies do I help, have to help across the street? How many poor people do I need to give money to? How many homeless people do I need to feed? Let me know what the level is so that I know that now, now I have eternal life. Because uh-huh. I've done certain things. And this is how we all think. We, we, I do good works. God says, good boy. And then he gives me good, he gives me eternal life. Uh, that's not how it works. Now watch what Jesus does. This is not a throwaway question. It's the key to unlocking this passage. Jesus says, why do you call me good? The guy should have stopped right there and really taken this question to heart. Jesus answered, no one is good except for God alone. Not you. Not any of the people in this church. Not me. No one is good except for God alone. This guy should have taken the hint because Jesus was politely, in a way, saying without dishonoring this man, you're not good. No one is good except for God alone. All right, so you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. By way of a side note here. You'll notice that uh, when we read our Ten Commandments, Commandments 9 and 10 have to do with coveting. You know, you don't covet your neighbor's stuff, and then you also don't covet your neighbor's wife or his manservants or his maidservants, right? And Jesus takes the two commandments regarding coveting and sticks them together and says, you will not defraud. Defrauding is a form of theft, and it begins with coveting. And defrauding basically involves coming up with a clever scheme by which you can then Uh, come into possession of your neighbor's things without actually sneaking into his house in the middle of the night and taking him while he's not looking. Defrauding, basically, it's a wonderful scheme that you've come up with that technically is legal, but it's still a form of theft. And it begins with coveting, just by way of a note there. So Jesus here, he asks the question, you know the commandments? He lists off the commandments, and you're going to notice something about these commandments. They all have to do with the second table of the law. second table of the law is how we deal with each other. And this guy then gives what I would consider to be a very foolish answer. He says, Teacher, I, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And all the Norwegians said, Oofta. Oh boy, this guy needs a lot of help. All right. Theologically, he's completely screwed up. He thinks the law is basically a ladder that you climb. He's climbed the ladder, and now he's earned eternal life. Salvation is not something you earn. It's a gift given by God. So Jesus, knowing how to use the law properly, looked at him, and it says he loved him. Jesus didn't despise him. He truly loved this man. Why? Because he's going to the cross to bleed and to die for him. All right, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And the guy's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. In other words, 
Oh, now we're going to deal with the first table of the law. First commandment, you will have no other gods before me. What is this man's God? His money. That is the thing he is trusting in. That is the thing where he is getting his security from. Money is the thing that he worships. And oh, there's many people who do this today. Very sad thing. And so he left Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus is God in human flesh. But he left sad because he had great wealth. Now, it's important for us to note kind of the interplay that's going on here. In order to understand this passage, you have to get the proper distinction of law and gospel. And Jesus is not saying, oh, you can earn your salvation if you go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. It's pretty easy. Eternal life, eternity with God, world without end, the streets of gold, and all I have to do is sell everything I have and give it to the poor. That's an easy exchange. I can go do that. And now I've earned it. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is doing is using the law to show this man that he is not good. No one is good except for God alone. This man thinks he's good. And Jesus, by pointing out his idolatry, has revealed to this man that he's not good. He's an idolater. He's not somebody who trusts in the one true God. He trusts in himself. Now, I want to compare this text to another text from the book of Acts. You have your pew Bibles open to Acts 16. We're going to start at verse 11. We're going to look at another man who asks almost the identical question, but it's under different circumstances, and you can kind of see the difference so that you can see what's going on here. Acts 16, verse 11, and we're going to hear about Paul and Silas, and tacitly we're going to hear about Luke, the the author of Acts, and their arrival in the town of Philippi. Here's what it says, starting at verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea, sailed straight for Samothrace, the next date on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of, of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. She's a dealer in purple cloth. She's making lots of money. Purple is the color of royalty, and it is an expensive color. I think they made it using the ink from octopuses, you know, something to that effect. Very difficult to come, up, come across the stuff to make purple. But it says this, she was a worshiper of God. Note to yourself here, in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, when somebody is described as a worshiper of God, that means that they are a Gentile learning to become a Jew. They are studying Judaism. They're in catechism class. All right, so a worshiper of God is a class of people. If we had uh, young ones here who were in catechism, we'd call them our catechumens, right? So they're studying to become Jews, so she's a worshiper of God. And here's what it says. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Uh Uh-oh, there goes decision theology right there. Why? Because it's the Lord who opens our hearts to hear the message of the gospel, the saving work of Christ. And so the Lord opened her heart, and when she and the members of her household were baptized... 
She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. You'll notice that Luke here, the author of Acts, is including himself, us, we. He's part of this. And notice it says that her entire household was baptized. Everybody in her house. Now, in the days before birth control, if an entire household is baptized, would that include little ones? Oh, absolutely. Everybody. So then the story continues. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Uh She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, you can't see it in this English translation, but in the Greek, it's very clear what kind of a spirit she had. The Greek says that she had a spirit of Puthon. Sounds like a python or snake, right? Well, by saying that she had a spirit of Puthon, we know exactly where this girl spent some time serving, and that was at a place called the Oracle of Delphi. You've heard of this. If you've read any of the ancient accounts regarding the Oracle of Delphi, it was the place you would go to ask the gods about your future and fortune. And in fact, Alexander the Great made a stop at the Oracle of Delphi. And the way this worked, by the way, is that the Oracle of Delphi, you can visit the the place to this day. The ruins of the temple are still there. Um, It was built over a, a crevice where there was volcanic gases that were coming up through this crevice and they were intoxicating type of gases. And the girls that served at the Oracle of Delphi, they would put their face over the crevice, breathe in the fumes, and then go into an ecstatic state and speak in tongues. The men of the Oracle of Delphi would then interpret the tongues, you know, to, and as if this was a, a, an answer. So somebody would say, I'm here to find out my fortune. Does so-and-so love me? Will we get married and have children and live happily ever after? And then one of these girls would stick her face over the crack and breathe it in and start speaking gibberish. And then the priest would interpret and say, yes, no, maybe, who knows? You know, how do you answer with specificity something like that? But So we know because this girl in Philippi had a spirit of Puthon, that puts her as at one point working at the Oracle of Delphi. So, she's demon-possessed. She's able to predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And this girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, be careful not to shout too loud, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Always beware when the demons are proclaiming Christ. They never are really quite telling the truth. In an ancient culture, in a town like Philippi, where the people believed in the pantheon of the Greco-Roman deities, of Apollo, of Athena, Zeus, to proclaim that Jesus is the Most High God is to basically say that He's one of many. Now granted, Paul was preaching the way of salvation. But he wasn't preaching that Jesus is the most high God. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the only true God. See the difference? So she kept this up for many days. Had to be a bother. So finally Paul became so troubled, he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. 
And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. By the way, Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens. They did not have to put up with this, but they said nothing about their rights. And the reason for this is quite simple, because they considered this type of reproach, this type of beating, to actually be a blessing. That they were found worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They would rather have that than exercise their rights. So the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten, and after they had been severely flogged, which means they're in need of medical care, they were thrown into prison, and everybody knows how clean the prisons were at that time. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. I'm worrying about, at this point, you know, bacterial infection, things like that. But here's what Paul and Silas did. It says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And you go, what? These men have just been beaten, have been, just been flogged. They are in need of medical attention. Their wounds have not even really been cared for. And their idea at this point of the thing to be doing, time to have a prayer service. So they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And while this is going on, the other prisoners were listening to them, as well as the guard. The guard was hearing this too. Now, if you would like an example of one of the hymns that they probably sung, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Let me find the page for some of you. Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 11. You can find this on page 831. And you'll notice in your pew Bible, it's formatted as if it's a poem. And there's a reason for this, is because when you read it in Greek, you can see what's going on. These are lyrics. This is a hymn. One of the ancient hymns of the first Christians. And I like to think that since Paul puts this hymn in his epistle to the Philippians, that this may have been one of the hymns that they were singing in jail. Let me read the lyrics. Talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a pretty beefy hymn. Okay? That, the, uh, the iambic pentameter doesn't quite come across in the English translation. Let's just put it that way. But that's probably I th one of the hymns that the prisoners heard that night as Paul and Silas were praising God and proclaiming Christ and praying. And while this was going on, the text says this, we're back in Acts, so, suddenly 
there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And we all know how that story ends, right? Prison break. The guys in the orange jumpsuits come pouring out and heading you know, this way and that while they call up the marshals and get the dogs and the helicopters out to look for them, right? That's how that's supposed to go. But that's not what happened this day. The prison doors were open and the unthinkable happened. Not one prisoner left. And you ask yourself, what is going on here? The jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He was just going to save the Roman authorities' time because had any of those prisoners escaped, they would have killed him. That is the price to pay for letting prisoners escape. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. So the jailer called for lights. And he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Notice the parallel. This guy comes and falls on his knees before Paul and Silas. Remember the rich young ruler? He, come and he fell before Jesus, right? But unlike the rich young ruler, this jailer doesn't think that he's a good person. He doesn't. He knows he's heard about Jesus and His death on the cross. And He knows that He's a sinner in need of a Savior through the preaching, through the prayers, through the hymns that He's just heard. He says, Then He brought them out and He asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's not expecting to do something in order to inherit eternal life. He knows He needs to be saved. Similar question, yet very different pointing at kind of the same thing. Really, the same thing totally. But from two different approaches. One, a man who thinks he's righteous, and the other, a man who knows that he's not. What must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your whole household. That includes the babies. So then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his family, they were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. How are we saved? By trying hard, doing good works. Getting our little good works star chart out and tracking our progress. Counting up the merits. Holding up our scorecard to God and say, see, I've done it. No. The purpose of the law is not for you to save yourself. Romans chapter 3 says this. We know that whatever the law says, this is verse 19, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And that's what Jesus did with the law that day with the rich young ruler. He used the law to silence that man so that he can be held accountable to God. And then Romans says this, Therefore, no one, not one person, will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. 
rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's the purpose of the law. So if you're trying to rack up the brownie points and say, oh, I've kept all these commandments, God, from the time I was little, we say, oofta, no way. No, you haven't. That's not why the law was given. The law was given to show that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, me as well as you. But then Romans goes on to say this, Now righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So where then is boasting? If you're not saved by your works, but you're saved totally by grace as a gift because Christ died for the ungodly, there's absolutely no room for boasting. What are you going to boast in? Yeah, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You can boast in that, I guess. Boast in the fact that Christ has saved somebody even as wretched as me. There is no room for boasting. It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So I go back to one of the questions, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I pointed out the fact that eternal life is an inheritance. It truly is. And Jesus has willed in His last will and testament that we inherit the kingdom. And what's necessary for us to inherit the kingdom is for one to die. And that one has died. It's Jesus. And it's through His death and through His will, last will and testament that He has chosen to give to us, to you, to me, the inheritance of eternal life. He's willed it to us. And He's gone to the cross and bled and died so that we might possess it and earn it. And my job, part of my job, Sunday after Sunday, is to read out the will and let you know that you are one of those whom Jesus has chosen to receive this inheritance. Not by any work that you've done. He's only giving this inheritance to sinful, wicked, and unholy people those who need a Savior, like me and like you. So rather than leave today sad because you have great wealth, or sad because you found out that you're a sinner, leave today with great joy, like the Philippian jailer, with the great joy of knowing that God has opened your heart, has washed away your sins, has forgiven you by the shed blood of Christ, let your wounds be healed today. And trust and believe that as I'm reading out this will, that you truly have received a glorious inheritance by the one who bled and died.
for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. So I ended up playing the whole sermon. I didn't want to stop it. It, you know, I think it kind of makes the point. So which reading do you prefer? The reading that you heard from Stephen Furtick that narsegeted the text and, you know, was just basically taking the historical narrative and turning it into an allegory about your life? Or the one that actually exegeted the text? and pointed you to Christ in his saving office for the forgiveness of your sins. Which did you prefer? Something to think about. All right, we're on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to be listening to a Joel Osteen, David Crank, Nicole Crank sermon. Yeah, about the power of I am and it's not Jesus. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the Internet such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, 
We continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're well into it. That was a basically on-the-fly decision on my part to uh, kind of spar with uh, Burdick. Hopefully you found that eye-opening. All right, let's do this right, though. We got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, yeah, it's more like an interview, comes to us via, well, Faith Church St. Louis, uh, along with um, Lakewood in um, Houston, Texas. We're going to be listening to David and Nicole Crank interviewing uh, Joel Osteen regarding his new book, Entitled The Power of I Am, and no, he's not referring to Jesus, which is a huge problem. In fact, I think it's so problematic that I think we'll just have to get into it. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is David and Nicole Crank to introduce Joel Osteen and uh, their sermon interview entitled The Power of I Am. Here we go. Welcome, Faith Church. We are excited about this weekend because Nicole and I have a special guest with us today that you probably have never seen before, but it's Joel Osteen. Joel, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Pastor David. Nicole, great to be with you all in in your beautiful church as well. Thank you guys for being at Faith Church today, a a great church in America. You know, both our churches in St. Louis and West Palm Beach, everybody just really looks up to you. You bless each and every one of us uh, with your books, encouraging people every day. And so it's just an honor. You know, Faith Church is one of the only churches that, that gets to do this, to just get behind the scenes at Lakewood. I mean, some people are probably watching right now looking, wow, I've seen that so many times. I mean, tell us just a little bit before we get into the sermon part of things. I mean, what's it, it's been several years now, but it's still got to be in 16,000 seats. This is pretty amazing, right? Yeah, it still amazes me. Every time I come, I used to have season tickets to watch the Rockets right back there on the fourth row in mm-hmm. Section 104. And we celebrate our 10th anniversary here. But it just, uh, you know, David, it's, it's part of what you and I both, and Nicole, we all teach. Yeah, notice uh, we're not starting this sermon with a biblical text, but rather rather a, a personal story from Joel Osteen telling us about how wonderful uh, the venue is, you know, where the Houston Rockets used to play, you know, for their church. We continue. That God's dream for our life is bigger than our own. Okay. I never dreamed I'd be here. I, I worked 17 years behind the scenes for my parents and thought that's what I would do with my life. I, I liked doing the production and the lighting and things like that. But when my dad died, I knew something down in here said I was supposed to step up and pastor the church. And, you know, you can't really explain it. I just, I just knew I was supposed to do it. I never ministered. Yet scripture is clear. In order to be a pastor, you have to study and show yourself approved as a workman who, who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth. So why would God tell you inside of your heart that you should be a pastor 
when you're not biblically qualified to be a pastor. And those qualifications come directly from God, the Holy Spirit. Weird, huh? Before. But I took that step of faith and never dreamed it would grow. I mean, the church, we had 6,000 people when my dad was there, but never dreamed any of this would happen. But that's why it's so easy for me to encourage you that God's dream for your life is bigger than your own. And when you honor God... Uh, The dream destiny thingy doctrine. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we debunked that yesterday. You keep being your best. You keep, you know, going to work, uh, doing what you more than you have to do, and really not even working under people, working under God, because promotion comes from the Lord. It doesn't come necessarily from people. So I just encourage you keep being your best every day, and uh, every day you do that, you're passing the test. And we stand here today, sit here today as a, as a testimony to God's goodness, His faithfulness. Oh, yeah. Plus, plus David, it's a it's a testimony to. The legacy of my parents, yeah. they, they sowed 40 years into people's lives. And, you know, again, it tells me that everything you do matters, you know, that the right decisions you make, you're not only going to reap harvest from it, but I believe your children. So I mean, I am reaping. Uh, I realized I started 40 years down the road because where my parents took me, at least in, you know, in the church world. So uh-huh. as you keep doing the, the right thing. You're storing up mercy and favor for future generations. So, Joel, did you know your entire life that this is what you were destined for, that this is what you were going to do? That Boy, it- I almost missed that. Notice he said, if you keep doing the right thing, you store up mercy. That's the kind of uh, theology that is a works-based theology. You store up mercy by doing the right thing. Wow, that was blatantly awful and terrible. We continue. End up here one day. I didn't, Nicole. I really didn't think this was in me. I didn't think I had it. My my dad would try to get me up here to minister, but uh, not not at this place, but at the old church. And I say, well, Daddy, that's just I'm not a I'm not a preacher. I mean, my personality is more laid back, more behind the scenes. I like that. I'm, I, you know, I just I was comfortable there, but. I think I would have loved to do it, but I just didn't think it was in me. But sometimes God uses adversity to push you into your destiny. So when my dad died, I could not get away from that feeling that I was supposed to get up there and minister. And again, we didn't know it would, I didn't know if it worked. So notice this is a theology based upon personal experience and feeling and speculation on what those feelings and experiences supposedly mean. I thought, you know what, at least I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work, I'll go back to television production. But, you know... It worked. Well, it worked, and, you know, and 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 again, that's why it's so easy for me to encourage people that you have gifts and talents in you that you have not yet tapped into. Mm -hmm. I would be probably the least likely one to be up here in front of all these people every weekend, but... uh, you know, I just, I just be encouraged because now this sounds so humble, but it's a fake humble. And the reason I say that, because who's he talking about? Himself, not Jesus. He's talking about himself. But wants you to get to a certain spot and, and get stuck there. Mm-hmm. And not that, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to change fields, but he wants you to keep growing and increasing. And sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm just a, you know, a school teacher or just a yeah. business person, just a student, but you're not just anything. You're a child of the Most yeah. High God, and He's got greater things in store for you. Yeah, you know, Joel, I, I think if I didn't know you, you know, I mean, we were at your house for dinner last night. If I didn't, over the years, know you, I would look at you and think, you know, well, he just probably thinks he's equipped, he's qualified. I'm quoting you now. I'm equipped. I'm qualified. I'm anointed. I'm powerful. I'm blessed. Yeah, these are all declarations from his I Declare book. 
Those are things I think you really, just knowing you personally, those are things that you actually needed to hear yourself. And so you said it. So people are probably thinking, he's the most secure. You're the Pope of Hope. I mean, people think you're the most secure person in the world. The Pope of Hope. More like the, uh, you know, one of the antichrists of false doctrine. Do you still deal with insecurities? And I, I think I know the answer to this. I mean, well, you know, I, th- I think we all do. It's, it's changed. But, you know, when I first started ministry, we were talking about a little bit this, a little of this last night that, uh, you know, when I would when Sunday would roll around, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, I would think there's no way I can get up there. I'm scared to death. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I would have to talk to myself and do just what you're saying. I said, Joel, you know, you are well able. You are equipped. You are empowered. You are anointed. And Yeah, you, you, you. Talk about narcissism run amok. Now, if you don't talk to yourself, your ta- yourself can talk you out of your own oh, dreams. And I think, David, you know, so many people have the wrong recording playing in their mind all day long. And it's just, you know, it's just negative things. I'm not attractive. And, well, look how talented he is. I'm not, I'm not near that talented. But you have everything you need. When you put that recording going in the right direction, and I know I say it every service, but I'm disciplined, I'm focused, I'm talented, I'm creative, I'm attractive, I'm one of a kind, I'm a masterpiece, I'm blessed, I'm prosperous. And I think sometimes, too, David and Nicole, people think, well, you know, Joe, you say all that, but I don't feel blessed, and I don't feel anointed, and I don't feel talented, but you have to believe it before yeah. you're going to see it. Yeah. And I think that's the trick. I mean, I didn't feel confident, I didn't feel secure, I didn't feel like I was well able, but I continued to tell myself that. And again, it's what God's Word says. You're not just making stuff up, but it's what the Scripture says about you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what can come alive in your life when you get your recording going in the right direction. You know, just get in agreement with what God says about you. Mm-hmm. You may feel not blessed, but you know what? God says I'm blessed, so God, I believe I'm blessed. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you tap into that, it changes your attitude, and things yeah. go better. You know, in, in your book that you just released, The Power of I Am, I, I haven't read the whole thing yet. I'm reading it because I thought I could read it quickly, right? But I can't. David was making fun of me because I was highlighting and writing so much on She's each page. She's writing a book inside your book. <laughs> He's like, don't write Joel's book for him. I'm like, but he, it spurs so many thoughts and so many things come up out of me when I'm reading it. And that just rem- So you were telling you, you're, you're able to say these things about yourself, but how? What gives you the inspiration to say that? What do you even know to repeat? Because that might, might be where people can get stuck. Is Yeah, how do you know what to repeat about yourself? Because there's no biblical text that tells me to look in the mirror and say, I'm blessed and I'm wonderful. I'm the bee's knees and I'm, you know, I'm strong and I'm prosperous. There's no biblical text that tells me to do that narcissistic little exercise. So how do you know what to say about yourself, Joel? I don't feel it. So what do I say? You know, I think you just have to take that step of faith. And even though you don't feel it, say, well, you know what? This is this is what God says about me. So I'm just going to take that step of faith. For instance, when I first started ministering, I was I felt very afraid. But I would tell myself that I am strong. I'm confident. I am secure. I am another personal anecdotal story. And since this is a, uh, you know, apparently about the book, the power of I am. We're going to take a look at two passages of Scripture, Exodus chapter 3. We didn't do this the last time we covered this topic. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and then we'll circle back and look at a second portion of the uh, Gospel of John chapter 8. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see 
this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Then the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, and God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said. Here I am, he said. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and they say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So there you go, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And yeah, very clear. I am is the name of God given. John chapter 8, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, I'm going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come? Jesus said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Yeah. Jesus is using the divine name for himself. So they said to him, Well, who who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge. But But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world, what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Yeah, so when you lift him up, you will know that I am. Jesus throughout John 8 is using the divine name, I am, for himself. So if you're going to talk about the power of I am and do it apart from Jesus, who is the I am, who is God in human flesh, this is nothing there's nothing Christian about what we're listening to from David or to Colcrank or Joel Osteen. It's as if all of them are completely oblivious that Jesus is I am and that he is God. We continue. 
able. And, you know, you start getting the wrong thoughts out of you and it changes your perspective. And I don't think it's just, you know, because people say, well, you're just telling people to be positive. But it's it's more than that. It's, it's releasing your faith mm-hmm. to say, you know what, I don't feel secure or confident or whatever right now. But God, I believe I am blessed. I am confident. I am secure. So it's, um, you know, it's not just, a, you know, be positive, be mind, have mind over matter. It's getting in agreement with God. It's right. your faith being released. And, you know, the scripture says we, we walk by faith and not by sight. And I think that's a big part of it. My faith being released. Where in scripture does it talk about releasing your faith? What is that? It really is. You know, I think sometimes in my own life, I, I, I have that reoccurring thing going on in my brain. Well, this is the way it's always been. Well, your dad didn't make it any further than this. And so you kind of get stuck in a rut and a mindset. And, and one of the things that I love about, you know, Faith Church and, and other you know, great teachers like yourself is we're always every week not telling people what's wrong with them. Focusing on what's right with them. You know, right now here in the... You yeah, in other words, you're not telling them they're sinners in need of a Savior, which means you're not actually preaching the biblical Jesus. 2015, we're seeing that, you know, everybody's afraid. The economy, what's going on with the economy? And the Bible said this. He said, there is no fear in the perfect love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. He said, he's going to meet all of your needs according to your, his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed out begging for bread. We're going to be okay. And in the last days, I think, Joel, that people are reaching out, one, for something that's real. And that's something here at Faith Church and with yourself. And I think they're looking for something positive. There's enough bad news in the world. It's time that's some good news comes. So I just really want to continue to encourage people. Isn't the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture? That's what Paul says the good news is. See 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the opening verses. You're confused. You know, Nicole was saying a minute ago, what do you do about the, how do you say certain things? And I know we're right now we're talking about I am, but your book, I Declare, we did a thing and no, actually, you're not talking about I am because I am is Jesus connected our church and people started reading like it's September the 13th every day, you know, or it's October 12th. You just read one a day and you start saying things you've lined it out for them. I declare that I'm blessed. I declare that I'm going to meet the right people. I declare that, you know, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Those are some practical how to's. And I know that's why some of you came to church today is you're wanting a sermon. This is a powerful behind the scenes sermon right now, getting into the mindset of, of Joel and a powerful sermon, getting in the mindset of Joel, that'll send you to hell. And a minute ago, you said something about, you know, your dad. And I watched last night as the kids came downstairs for a minute, you know, and here's here's your kids and you know, Jonathan's getting ready to go to college. And I looked at them and thought, it's so amazing now how this is the third generation. They're up on the stage. They're singing. How, how would you say just say, a lot of mom and dads are at Faith Church today? Sometimes you get aggravated with your kids, right? You always, you never, you're just like your brother. You're just like your dad. Talk to us just a moment about kids speaking the word and and, an I am attitude over them. Yeah, I think it's so important because, you know, it's easy to call people, to call your children what they are. But, you know, the scripture and God says to call them what you want them to be. And I just go back to the scripture, David. I call my children every day in prayer. Lord, I think that my my children are mighty in the land. The scripture says the seed of the righteous is blessed. And so I just encourage. Notice selective reading of scripture, all the positive affirmations. None of the stuff that actually talks about sin. 
you know, you can, you can pull things out of your children that they can't see in themselves. I mean, even Victoria talking about a spouse now, but she told me that I could get up and minister 10 years before my dad ever died. I used to think, this girl does not know what she's talking about. But you know what? She saw things in me that I could not see in me. And I think it's the same way with your children. I mean, they're, they're, you know, when, you, when you tell them what they can become, like, you, know, you, you can make good grades. You, can, you, you are going to do great things in life. I mean, they need that affirmation. And so I just encourage you to, you know, I, th- I think in our home with my parents, you know, the, the biggest factor I think that uh, most of us kids, well, us kids we turned out okay you know none of us got way off course but you know what they're, 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 Paul's, yeah, that's true that's true but, you know I think I think that in the atmosphere of the home I mean the, the parents create the atmosphere of the home when there's an atmosphere of faith of joy of peace I think that's so important that uh, that children pick up on that like if we yeah where does the scripture talk about creating atmospheres like that I know about the fruit of the spirit but the creation of atmospheres. Not sure what that means. My parents never made us come to church. We wanted to come to church because all of our friends were there. And, and we saw in the home, my parents were the same at home as they were in the church. And so I think that in, that integrity and not not uh, not confusing a child. But anyway, getting back to it, I think just if you can keep your the atmosphere of your home, your children are probably picking up on that more yeah. possibly than what you say, especially telling them, you know, don't do this, don't do this. Model love and excellence and, and respect. Well, and that the, the power of I am, the I am almost can become, if you're a parent or a spouse, a you are. Yeah. Yeah. Not just speaking those things over yourself, but speaking those things over your spouse. Speaking. Notice they're not talking about Jesus, the I am. Things over your child because it's tempting when your child is acting up. Say, hey, you always act up. It's just tempting in that moment. And so speaking those you are is like Victoria did over you before you saw it in yourself. She told you what you were and in the word of God so that you could really start receiving it. And when you do believe those things, my favorite story in your book, and they say when you preach something, the first time give credit. So I'm giving credit this time. The second time a friend said, and the third time you just tell a story. But you, you told a story about these cows in India and this man who raised cows. Do you know what story? Yeah, the, you know that Bible passages about the cows in India. Yeah, again, not found in the Bible. Yet this is a sermon. Weird, huh? I do, yeah. And yeah. I love how this man. So you got to get the book. It's in chapter four. And this man only had one cow, okay. and he was poor, and he was a pastor, and he was really believing God. And instead of thinking that this was the end of him, he knew that things were coming and things were going to be great. And his neighbor was rich and mean and charged everybody too much. Well, he had so much favor on his life and was believing for good things for his life that ten cows from the rich guy kept believing for. Yeah, Scripture teaches us to believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But notice they skip Jesus. We're, I'm believing for this. I'm believing for that. That's not biblical faith. That's faith in your faith. ...into his house so many times. The ten cows stayed. The pastor started a business. It started doing so well. He started being good to the people. The people bought from him. So much so that the rich guy said, you're putting me out of business. I want you to buy my company real cheap. And now the the pastor could provide for the community and provide for everyone in such a great way because the power of you are the power of I am. That is so good. Yeah, notice it's not the power of Jesus, but the power of positive declarations I am. Yeah, huh. Maybe that's why that story about the cows is not actually found in the Bible. 
You told it better than me. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. Oh, that, is, that is so good. Yeah, I tell somebody, you know, God's got the cows looking for you. You yeah. keep honoring God and you keep that right. <laughs> what? God has the cows looking for you. Oh, this is nuts. Attitude of faith. Uh, you know, God will get the right things to you. It's almost like this building, Nicole. I mean... We've, we tried to buy property other places. It, you know, it wasn't available. It was kind of, some of them was sold out from under us. But this building has been the premier facility in Houston for 20 years. It's where the Rockets have won championships. It's a city-owned facility. And, you know, when it came, you know, we got word that the Rockets were moving out. It's a long story. But, I mean, the chances of us getting this place oh, yeah. in the natural were so, so small. Because mm-hmm. there's a business community all around us, probably six or eight high-rises. And, uh... They definitely wanted this facility. Oh, they yeah. said it's our front door, our back door, and our side door because the freeway's right out in front of us. But you know what? God can make a way. We did just what we what you said. Spoke words of faith. We chose to believe. We didn't let the doubt play over and over. And you know, our, our attitude was, God, we know you have the right facility for us, and we believe this is this is it. And I, th- I think part of that faith too is, you know, you tell God what you want, what you're believing for. And then you put it in his hands. You, you yeah. keep believing, but you put it in your... What you're believing for. Uh-huh. Yeah. I said, God, if I'm wrong, you know what? I've told everybody this is what I believe. But you know what? I believe you'll you'll make me not look too bad if we don't get it. But you know what? It, it came through. It does. And you got to dream big. you got to. You know, yeah. I, I think about, you know, we used to... Yeah, if you're dreaming small, you know, you're clearly not believing for the right stuff. This all has something to do with the power of I am, but the I am is not Jesus. It's you. My dad used to watch your dad on television all the time and didn't even know you back then. Didn't know you were the one pushing the buttons and making yeah. him look so good. And I love the way he would turn, you know, and look at the camera on this side. Those, those are just great, great things. But th- that inspired us. And watching you and meeting you years ago through Joyce Meyer brought me here to Lakewood. I was backstage with her and didn't even expect to meet you. And there was this divine appointment. You tap on our shoulders and we become friends. And I guess the point that I want to make out of that is I always say this, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so you're like, well, I wish I could hang around Joel or I wish I could hang around this person. Yeah, the I show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Again, not found in the Bible through YouTube, through the books, and all of a sudden your mind begins to stretch. And a mind stretch never goes back to its original size. And you start just dreaming bigger and thinking bigger. And for me, part of it was um, I actually, this guy got born again and he, he at our church, and, and he invited me to go on this boat with him and his dad. And we spent a few days out there. And we were at this marina in the Bahamas, and I looked around at all these boats. I mean, some of these, I'm like, how much does a boat like that cost you? I, I'd never been outside of a river on a canoe, you know? So they're like, oh, that boat's $10 million. That boat's $5 million. I'm like, holy moly, this is crazy. And what it did for me is it stretched my mind out. So I thought, if these guys can afford these boats, they don't even know Jesus, we could, we could afford a boat for God. We could build God a great church. And it was at that point that my mind stretched out big enough to buy one of our campuses at the time. You know, it was 150,000 square feet, 177,000 people drive by a day, our Earth City campus. Some of you are sitting there right now. Joel, you've been on that stage and at the Sunset Hill stage preaching. And the, the point was and is that if you continue to hang around people that think low and defeat you'll continue to model seeing that model and then you'll live that out so i just want to encourage you today so whatever you do don't hang out with people who think low yeah they'll drag you down you know 
Start changing the way you think so you can change the way you live. And one of the ways you can do that is through daily renewing your mind. Continually think about what you're thinking about. Cast down those imaginations that come and say, you know what, this is not going to happen. You know, it's going to happen to them because you're a preacher or whatever. I mean, we know all kinds of preachers this isn't working for. It works for the people who work it. Trust God. Stretch their capacity and believe. It works for the people who work it. Um, Where does the Bible teach any, any of this? Weird, no, no biblical text yet in this sermon. It's as if they're going to go completely Bible-free here. Weird. God, all things are possible. You know, that's so important what you're saying, David. I think probably the biggest thing that I see that holds people back, one of the biggest, maybe not the biggest, is hanging around the wrong friends. You know, you, you can't really... It, it's hard to rise any higher than the people you're around all the time. And I know there are exceptions. Sometimes you get to work around people that are negative and stuff. But I'm talking about the people you choose. You know, I like that statement. If you want to know what you're going to be like five years from now, just look at the friends you're hanging around. And if that's not what you want to be around, you can love them. I, I found some some people you some family members you have to love from a distance because you know what they're gonna they're gonna drag you down. But I even I even read where yeah biblical text for that teaching, please. I'd like to see that one too. Where it's Henry Ford, Harry Firestone, and Thomas Edison had summer homes next to each other in Florida. And you think about those are some of the greatest minds around. Well, they didn't just hang out with anybody. And so I think it's so important to, you know, associate with other eagles, with people that are going places. And too, David, I like to hang around with people, you know, you shouldn't be the smartest one in your group. You know, there should be other people that are further along that inspire you. I think there, you know, you do take time to mentor people. You help pull people up. But you got to have some people in your life that are just further along with you. They're kinder. They're they're more well off. They're they're doing better in their marriage. Some people that inspire you to go further. And I really think that sometimes maybe... You're hanging around the wrong person. That could be a one decision that you make. I'm not talking about a husband or wife, but that one person, you know, you make that simple change. And I think what people think too, well, you know, Joel, I'm not going to have any friends. These are all my friends. But you make that choice to come up higher in your friendships and God will give you better friends. You know, it may not happen overnight, but God, God's got divine connections for you. Don't, don't. Yeah. Again, do you have a biblical text for any of this stuff that you're saying? Because I don't recall any of these biblical passages at all stuck somewhere in life. I mean, you know, time is passing by. We're going to look up and another 10 years has gone, another 10 years. And you're going to think, man, last thing we want to do is get to the end of the life and think, well, I've wasted quite a few right. years just not being my best. And you know, somebody might be thinking right now, well, how do I do that? How do I get better friends? And it really, it's, it's not that difficult. The first thing to do is get involved in a great church, yeah. like Faith Church. And then once you get involved in... Ch- yeah, whatever you do, don't get involved with Faith Church. That's not a great church because they think the I am is you, not Jesus. You want to get involved in a small group, an iConnect group, a group of people that get around you, that they love Jesus on purpose, and they seek his word and and read great books like the power. Yeah, if you love Jesus on purpose, you'd actually be preaching about him uh, right now because he is the I am. The fact that you think that you're the I am proves that you don't love Jesus and it's on purpose. Like I Declare and, and other books that spur them on in God. And those are the places where you get to know people, where you get comfortable people with people and where they can start speaking into your your life. And what you'll find out is after you start getting full of the Word of God, you'll start speaking back into their life. And what when at first you're like a sponge soaking it all in, but then you'll get full and all of a sudden somebody will pick you up and you'll just be overflowing everywhere that you go with the Word of God and with positive feelings and with hope and peace and joy. And so you'll be able to pass that on to other people. And when 
one of the great things about still no appearance of the Bible in this so-called sermon is when you hang around people who are farther in life than you are, sometimes you tend to think, oh, well, the way they got there is they didn't run into any difficulties and they've never been discouraged and everything's always gone their way. And I don't, I don't think that's true. I think we've all had our difficulties. Yeah, every, I think everybody has. Nicole, you're exactly right. It's just uh, we all have to fight the good fight of faith. It's people that have come through it. And, you know, you, you, you've been through difficult times. We all have. But every time you go through something and you overcome it, you come out, you come out stronger. Yeah. You come out with experience. And, you you know, it was tough believing for this place. It was a three-year battle. We were is a is a lawsuit. I had to get the city council members to vote for us. It was on and on. But you know what? Boy, when it when big when challenges come along now, I think boy, that's nothing compared to the comeback center. Right. You know, it increases right. your faith. It makes you strong. And really, it's God connecting all the dots. You, I mean, you can't necessarily you know grow from. A to, you know, all the way down to S, that you've got to have those spiritual muscles strengthened. So I think every challenge that you go through, you realize that this is getting me prepared for the greater things God has in store. What well, doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know. Now, on another, this is kind of a different topic a little bit, but we, yesterday we were doing the radio program, the Sirius XM radio. And I know a lot of our people at both campuses and probably some people watch on television, I mean, they, they tell me all the time, they say, oh, my gosh, I listen to that 24 hours a day. In fact, yesterday we had a caller uh, from California, I think, and the guy said that he went to buy a car and, and he said, I need the XM radio. And they sold him the car and he didn't have it. He took it back and returned it and said, I, I want one that has Joel in it. <laughs> so tell us about that. I mean, is that tell us a little bit about maybe if you want how that got started or how many people are, I know you wouldn't brag, but I mean, how many, what's the reach of something like that? Well, you know, Sirius is big. Sirius XM is big. It, it's, it's again, it's a part of the message that we all teach in that God has blessings. He has things stored up for you that already have your name on it that are bigger than you can imagine. And, you know, we, we've done a lot of television and other types. In other words, they're basically using every means of uh, broadcasting possible to broadcast a different gospel and a different Jesus. This is not good news. This is bad news. We've never done radio, and I just, I never kind of wanted to be a, a minister following another minister on a radio program. Nothing right. wrong with that. It's just not really who I'm reaching. But, you know, Sirius XM called up and said, you know, if you won't you want take a Christian channel, how about you, how about we give you your own channel? And it was just, um, you know, it's one of those things that blessing chasing you down that you couldn't, it's you know, they, they go into 33 million homes, 30 million uh, cars mainly. Right. But, uh, right. you know, it's just another avenue. 24 hours a day, those messages play. 48 altar calls a day, if every, every one of them. And uh, I, I just feel very blessed to be Nobody there. gets as many people saved as you do. I mean, right. we saw, saw that the other night. And, and Saved from what? Not hell. I mean, saved from, you know, bad hair days, saved from a bad career, saved from debt, but not saved from hell. San Francisco. I wasn't at that particular event. We've been at almost all those big ones with you. But uh, they said that almost, you know, they don't know for sure, but at least 20,000 people. And I you had to be just blown away to see 20,000 people stand up and receive Jesus. I mean, it's, it's so amazing. And it goes back to, you know, when you talk about the goodness of God, you, you were saying it earlier, life has beat people down already. Mm-hmm. And for them to come in our churches, I don't, I don't have the heart to say, you know what, you've been living wrong. You've been doing this. You've been lying this way. You know what? Everybody's already, life has beat us all down. And our message is same thing that the cranks teach and preach. And that is that God is for you. You can go beyond a mistake. I'm not going to tell people that they're sinners is what he just said. 
pass. His mercy is bigger than any mistake you've ever made if you just get back in the game. And plus, you can, you can break an addiction. You can accomplish your dreams. I mean, God is for you. The creator of the universe has something great in your future. And you know, so many times we talk ourselves out of it. Joel, not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. But you know, if you'd get rid of all that, get back in the game, believe that God's for you, let today be a new beginning, God can still get you to where you're supposed to be. That reminds me of, you know, that thing came to you. You weren't looking for it. That's right. It came to you, and it's just, I'm back to the story of the cows. So if my husband calls me a heifer, it'll be all right. (laughs) No, he would never do that. But it reminds me of the story of those cows, that how when you start believing. Yeah, here we go again with the cows again. Again, not found in the Bible. This is absolutely bizarre. The Word of God, when you start believing you were created on purpose, when you start believing there's a destiny inside of you, when you start believing there's a reason that you're here. Start believing there's a destiny inside of you. Ah, Nicole Crank, uh, one of the purveyors of the dream destiny thingy heresy. No matter where you are today, you know, we came out of a hotel room this morning. We saw some people getting off of a bus going into their job. And we thought, thank you, Jesus, we have a car and not on a bus. Everybody has something to be thankful for. And believing that God's taking you to that next step. I was believing right then when I saw those people. I said, God, give them a car that they can take their own car to work. And I just, I hope that they're believing. I hope they're watching right now knowing I can believe for my own car to go to work every day. So everybody can believe for that next level. And when they do, it draws. It really does. There it is again, believing for rather than believing in Jesus. Faith in your faith, not Jesus. Nicole, you're so right. You believe it. You get that vision down on the inside of you. And then you, then you live with expectancy. You know, just, just, you know, God, I believe you know, and I'm expecting good things to happen to me. I'm expecting your blessings to overtake me. That's foreign to a lot of people because you know what? They're expecting bad breaks and hey, it's flu season. Yeah, if this is what God wanted us to believe, don't you think he'd put this in the Bible? Probably get that too. And you know, it's just, it's a different mindset and it's not, it's not a, a mindset of being greedy. And I'm just thinking about myself. It's, it's wanting to advance the kingdom, to yeah. fulfill your purpose. And what you said, to be a blessing to somebody right. else, to, to see somebody walk by and God bless them with a car. Maybe, you know, there'll be times that, uh, you know, that, you know, it's tell people don't just be believe for your own needs, but that you could, you know, help right. them get a car sometimes. So that's what it's all about. Just to, to be a blessing, to expecting God's goodness in your life. And again, I say it, I said it earlier, it's releasing your faith. It's not just being positive. Yeah, releasing your faith. Again, where does Scripture tell us to release our faith? Believe in that, God, you do have these stored up blessings for me, like it says in Psalms. And Lord, I believe I'll become everything you've created me to be. So good. I, I love it. Now, this is like I, I was thinking a minute ago, you know, we can keep preaching because we only got about, this, this went fast. We got about five minutes before this sermon is done, and you guys are going to want to leave. <laughs> but. Off subject, we were talking last night. You guys are preaching? You haven't even opened a biblical text yet. How do you say this is preaching? Uh, your dad and going to the farm, you know, and fishing. And this is like, nobody's probably asked you this question, but like different thing. What was fun as a kid for you? I mean, what is Joel? Nobody knows the little Joel. I mean, Joel's playing with Paul and Lisa. And just give us a little insight of your, was there a favorite memory or somewhere you went? Or what did you like to do with dad? You know, it was fun. When we grew up, my dad... Uh, who's pastor of Lakewood, he left for about, he left Lakewood for about four or five years and traveled overseas. So when I was like five, six to 10, he was in and out a lot. 
And so uh, we didn't, we didn't, we were very middle class, lower to middle, I guess middle class back then. We had a lot of money, but I, you know, we had great memories. Uh-huh. You know, we, we'd play hide and go seek through the house with my parents. Okay. We would, uh, we didn't have money really to go on, on big vacations, but my parents, mainly my dad, he would take us up to the airport when I was like five years old because you could ride the trams for free. <laughs> and so we'd go up there and ride the tram from Terminal A to B, back and forth, and, you know, people thought we were crazy, That's thought they were lost. But, uh, you know, what? the point being is you don't have to have a lot of money to make good memories. Right. Those are some of my favorite memories, right. that, playing hide-and-go-seek through the house with my parents. But uh, I just think that, uh, again, nice. having a lot of love in the home is, is an important really thing. Is. And people love to hear these stories. I know you're probably uncomfortable, but... Like, tell us just real quick. Yeah. Normally during sermons, we hear, you know, stories from, you know, the Bible. About your mom before we go. I mean, growing up with her, she's still so kind. We were, we were last night at a, with some people and uh, at the Champions Network event, and you're, they were just talking about this person that needed healing, and your mom right in the middle of a restaurant. We're just going to anoint him right now. We're going to pray for him right now. She just was she always a prayer warrior like that? You know, she, she always loved to pray, but it really changed in 1981 when she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Okay. You know, she was given a few weeks to live through a fighting the good fight of faith. She's alive 35 years later. But when that when that happened, she couldn't wait to go out and to pray for other people. And my mom knows no shame. She'll pray for people yeah. anywhere. And it's a great thing. But, you know, growing up, she was just, she was full of love. She was just, we just, again, I, I've said it a lot, but we had a lot of fun. And she just, uh, she loves, my parents always always she still does but they always loved people mm-hmm. my dad was always for the underdog okay. i mean we have we heard anything about jesus any uh, the apostles prophets moses have we really heard anything from the bible in this sermon places we'd be traveling across the world and i'd see him in, a, in an airport talking to a hippie over there a young kid next thing i know he's giving him money i think <laughs> well you giving him money well you know he needed he needs some kind of help. He's always for the underdog, right. somebody he could help. Right. It's just amazing. You know, I want us to pray before before we leave today, but thanks so much for preaching to Faith Church today. And, and that, that was preaching. Which part of it was preaching again? Our, we'll put this on our television program, and we just love you and Victoria and the kids and Dodie and your brother. It's just a wonderful thing to just be your friend. Thanks for bringing uh, hope to people that are hopeless. I mean, walking through Washington, D.C. What kind of hope is that? It's not even an eternal hope. People go crazy when they see Joel, don't they? They do, and because you bring hope, and that's what we're thankful for. Thank you for doing what you're called to do, and thank you for bringing hope to people. Thank you for being hopeful. Thanks to, you, thanks to your mom in 1981 for believing, I am healed. I am called to live out my days in peace. I, I will yeah, be. Yeah, that's right. His mom believed in I am, not Jesus, her, her own faith, you know. Satisfied and, and have good salvation and a good life. And I'm just thankful to your family, and I'm thankful that you guys never stop bringing the Word of God to people. Yeah, in the book, the... Uh, they never started bringing the Word of God to people. They, that, that Nothing they do there at Lakewood involves actually bringing God's Word to people. The book is phenomenal. I'm not as far along as Nicole is because we only have one advanced copy. By the time you guys are watching this this weekend, we taped this a few days before this, you're going to have the, 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 the book that's available for you on your way out. So get that book there. Yeah, just put your Bible aside and, you know, just read that instead, apparently. Uh, if you're watching on television, go to, I mean, you can buy it anywhere. Go to Walmart, Target, online, Amazon. Get a hold of the I Am. That's right. The heresy hurricane known as the power of I Am.
Put that in your heart, and I promise you. No, keep it as far away from your heart as humanly possible. You'll be glad you did, and you'll be living the life of your dreams. And so, Joel, would you just pray for the people of Faith Church before we go? Yeah, done. Sorry, I'm not about to listen to Joel Osteen pray. I'm not sure which deity he actually prays to because the God he believes in, the Jesus he believes in, is not the God of the Bible or the Jesus of the Bible, and he doesn't preach the gospel found in Scripture either. Wow, that was unbelievable. What part of that was preaching? Yeah, no, I don't think any of that was preaching. You know, personal yuck-it-up uh, anecdotal stories, never a word about Jesus, but, man, we heard about, heard about that cow guy in India twice. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, and this is exactly what's wrong with Joel Osteen and those who think he's a, he's a Christian minister. There is nothing Christian about him because he doesn't preach Christ. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. It's my carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.